Welcome to the second episode of Neural Liberty. I think it's been a little over a week since I recorded the last one. I just had some personal stuff going on, but I'm here now. The topic of this episode is just going to be sharing some of my own experiences and perspective on certain cultural trends. So I guess I'll just get right into it. There's this book that I've seen advertised on TikTok a lot titled Don't Believe Everything You Think, and I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I can already tell that it's directed towards people with basically a strong sense of justice is one of the symptoms of autism. And if you understand the systems, if you're politically aware and you understand capitalism and paying taxes that fund genocides, you know that something is extremely wrong. And so if society, which is controlled by the corporations, can convince you to doubt yourself and just pretend like everything's okay and just stop complaining and and start conforming a little more, be more politically correct, as they say. Don't say anything anti-Semitic because those uh, people are a protected class and deserve to be put on a pedestal and just given everything they ask for. Then you'll be a good little employee for Megacorp. So don't believe anything you think, really, unless the corporate-owned media guy reading a teleprompter tells you or your teachers reading from a textbook that was uh, created by a corporation to basically modify history and tell you a version of things that conforms to capitalist interests. I don't know why exactly, but I'm very averse to things that are advertised to me. I don't know if it's the way I was raised or just something in my brain, kind of alarm bells go off when I I feel like I'm being advertised to or someone is trying to get me to do something it, it definitely could be the PDA profile autism, which is pathological demand avoidance, a.k.a. persistent drive for autonomy. I just don't want to be told what to do. If someone's telling me to buy a product, it automatically makes me not want to buy that product. And that that alone isn't completely logical, but the way I logically justify it is I like to read books. And so I, ha- I have a list of books that I want to read and None of those books are on that list because someone was trying to sell me the book. They're all recommendations from people I respect, uh, either professors or people on social media who I respect their perspective. And if they form their perspective by reading these books, then I'd like to share their perspective. So I'd like to read those books as well. And so if you're trying to get me to read this book because you want me to buy it, that's not a good reason for me to want to read a book. I'm tempted to read Don't Believe Everything You Think out of curiosity, but if I had to guess what Don't Believe Everything You Think is about, it basically seems like an attempt to gaslight you, especially people who have autism and that a stronger sense of empathy and sense of justice, which is such a strange symptom to be ethical. It's a symptom of a neurological condition, it sounds like. Maybe the other people have the neurological condition and a lack of empathy, but that's a separate issue. I guess just just this idea of 
not believing everything you think. Like the idea is to discourage unhealthy rumination, presumably, but if you're thinking about something, the solution is not to doubt your own thoughts. It's to acknowledge them and address them in a more effective way than simply repeatedly thinking them. Along these lines of not believing everything you think, there's this trend that I've seen recently that I greatly appreciated. People post a slideshow on TikTok and the first slide says, social media isn't real, so here are some things that I'm insecure about, which is just an awesome trend of people being vulnerable and discussing their insecurities. And then you see in the comments that those insecurities are extremely common and having a safe space to discuss these negative feelings that we have about ourselves is so much healthier and more productive as far as trying to address those difficulties than the standard social media behavior of just kind of being dishonest about your own life and going on vacation and then posting those pictures for months or editing your photos to make yourself appear more attractive or just basically donning a mask and pretending to be anyone but yourself on social media so that others will perceive you as being happier or more successful or whatever than you truly are, which just leads to more insecurity. Maybe if you can just convince yourself that if you get a bunch of likes on Instagram and everything's okay and being dishonest is some kind of effective coping mechanism, but it's definitely not very healthy. So along that trend of being vulnerable about some of our own challenges, I've definitely been going through a depressive episode recently. I take Zoloft, which is a anxiety slash depression medication. And so I've been taking that for about a year and it's helped, but it's definitely not magic. It decreases some of the anxiety, but the anxiety isn't entirely irrational. It's rooted in rational feelings. I just can't address them very effectively due to the anxiety. And also it's just impossible to solve everything, especially all at once. But the problem is that, especially recently, I've been so overwhelmed with all of the problems in the world that I'm seeing that it just feels impossible to solve. And it's discouraging. Anyways, what I was gonna say is that I reached out to my psychiatrist and it's difficult because I've always been dishonest about my depression symptoms. I, I remember, I guess they call it SI, suicidal ideation, I think. They basically try to differentiate thinking about committing suicide versus like preparing to or making a plan and like intending to follow through. And so I distinctly remember having thoughts of suicidal ideation first in middle school, just because, I don't know, I just got bullied a lot. And I, I didn't understand why I was getting bullied and I guess part of it would have been the undiagnosed autism and basically being different from everyone else and not really realizing it. And so that makes people act weird towards you for some reason. Part of what I'm realizing is that autism is a superpower where, and this is one of those things where this has not been even close to proven, but there's some research into it and I believe that the reason it hasn't been proven is just because of societal norms and it's just hard to change norms. But anyways, the idea is that people with autism 
perceive more, I think it was described as like bits of information. And so if you were to measure like the information absorbed by the brain per second in bits, which is arbitrary, it's a unit of measurement that's better than nothing, but it's not exactly like a very specific thing. But basically the idea is that people with autism absorb more information information sounds like if someone's telling you something and you're absorbing that information but it's also just everything around you so if you're in class and the the teacher is speaking obviously you're perceiving that information but you're also perceiving the information of someone tapping their foot next to you and a car driving by outside and things like the lights humming that's something that some people can't relate to at all but some people definitely can so I've heard of autism described as basically mild schizophrenia, which is a massive oversimplification in many ways, and it invalidates a lot of the difficulties of uh, schizophrenia. But if you can ignore the flaws with the analogy and appreciate the the value of it, of just the similarities that there are, and um, not make it this competition of who can be the most mentally ill or something. That, that, that's, that's not the point. The point is that basically people with schizophrenia perceive even more of these supposed bits of information around them than people with autism. It can be, it, it's certainly overwhelming to have as much information coming into your brain per second as people with autism do. I can attest to that. And so I can only imagine if it felt like mo even more going on around me if I had schizophrenia, then that would be, I'm, I'm sure, more difficult. I guess if you can understand autism as, there's a, a lot to it, but part of it is just a higher volume of information. I, I need a better word for than information, but it's this heightened, it's like this hyper-awareness of what's going on around you. And so if there aren't a lot of distractions, if you're in a quiet lecture hall, you can absorb what the professor is saying more effectively than people without autism because you're able to process more information per second. But if there are a lot of distractions, then you're processing those distractions instead of the information that you're supposed to be processing. And so that can be difficult. And then if you have schizophrenia and you're processing more around you than most people can even imagine, then that's even more difficult. And then it's also, I'm sure, very invalidating to try to to even attempt to communicate this experience to someone who can't. It's it's like trying to describe psychedelics to someone who has never done psychedelics. It's, you just have to you have to have been there almost. Yeah. So basically, on on the topic of invalidating people's experience with autism or schizophrenia, that's what I was going to say about this depressive episode that I've been going through. I reached out to my psychiatrist to ask for help, and the help I got was an additional anxiety medication that's supposed to be sedating, because basically recently I've been having more insomnia, and that's just difficult because if you can't get a good night's sleep, then you're less productive during the day, and then if you feel guilty about being unproductive during the day, then you have a harder time sleeping, and it's this difficult cycle. And so this other medication um, is supposed to be sedating, and I've only been trying it for a few days, but I've really not enjoyed it. It's, I don't know if it's just not working at all, and I'm just still having a really hard time falling asleep. 
And it connects back to this increased information processing speed where I just have racing thoughts at night. And I have racing thoughts during the day too, which is why I consume cannabis to slow my thinking. But then that's just a way to cope. And if I uh, smoke before bed, I don't sleep well. I, I think you get less REM sleep, which is not a good thing. But then my dreams are super overwhelming. I don't know. I'm not asking for sympathy. I just, it's along this, the, the trend of social media isn't real. So here are some things I'm insecure about. And hopefully other people can relate to this experience. And if you can't relate, then maybe we can discuss it together or something. Or I, I don't know. Just try to stay optimistic. But anyways, in addition to this medication that my psychiatrist gave me that hasn't helped, I was offered this therapy program through the, I have Kaiser insurance. And so Kaiser has this program that's supposed to, that's an eight week program, something like that, that's supposed to help people with depression. So I signed up for it. And I guess there's the kind of two main categories of therapy are processing therapy where the patient is given the opportunity to express how they feel and the therapist attempts to understand those feelings and uh, where they come from and help the patient understand those feelings and where they come from in order to understand if they're healthy and rational and should be addressed in one way or if they're kind of just irrational thoughts that stem from some childhood trauma or something and should be it should be understood that you shouldn't exactly be feeling those feelings, or at least not as much as you do. But the other style of therapy is behavioral therapy, which seems to be more catered towards neurotypicals who their behavior is rooted in insecurity. As I understand it, the behavior is, the idea is that the behavior is harmful. And if you don't exhibit the behavior, then you won't feel how you do. And that just reminds me of this Kid Cudi quote, cause and effect is what most don't know, which is he was referring to his substance abuse issues and people criticizing him for coping with his mental health issues with substances. And that's something I can relate to of my parents and my ex trying to discourage me from using substances and I didn't even feel comfortable talking to them about my depressive symptoms. And then when I did try, they weren't able to help me. When you do open up about depression and aren't able to receive the help that you need from those who are close to you, it definitely can make it a lot worse and induce feelings of hopelessness, which was difficult for me. It's even worse when you do it with a therapist and it's someone that you're not quite as comfortable with and they can't understand how you feel and they just judge you for feeling that way without being able to understand why. <clears throat> and they don't seek to understand why. They seek to basically judge you until you figure it out yourself or just go away and not make it their problem, which is obviously not good, but... That's just how the system is designed, I guess. Yeah, so basically what I was going to say is um, I'm going to be attending this behavioral therapy class. The, the problem is it just teaches you how to conform to societal expectations. And it just, I know this is a long tangent, but 
it reminded me of the idea of don't believe everything you think. Basically, they gave me some worksheets to do. And it's just a bunch of bullshit. It's, you don't actually have to try your best. You just have to tell yourself that you're trying your best and then everything will be okay. And a bunch of stuff along that theme. It was so corny and just not true. And so if you're a little kid who can't think for themselves and you just believe whatever your parents tell you, then that might work. But if you've experienced anything in life and you have a functioning brain, then you know that it's just a bunch of BS. And that... That was definitely disappointing because I was hoping to get some kind of help. And then I realized, and, and basically where it comes from, and, and you don't have to believe this, but I guess to, to give a quick background on myself and to establish my credibility on this subject, I studied industrial engineering, which is not a popular field, but it is basically business engineering. And so you study business concepts of like a financial workings of a business and just how the whole thing works, but from a more engineering perspective. So it's a lot of math and different formulas. It's almost in physics, there's these different kind of fundamental equations. And if you can turn business into science, that's what industrial engineering is. Yeah, really the science of business. Because I have that perspective, I'm able to see systems because it's sometimes referred to as systems engineering so like at uc berkeley the, the major is industrial and systems engineering and like the institute of industrial and systems engineers and so basically i just i i was taught how systems work at this kind of logical level compared to mba or a bba you learn how business works at this more not exactly social, but just basically, it's basically social because you're just learning how to, you understand the business from a perspective that you can, it's, it's just teaching how to be a middle manager and connect between people who are doing technical jobs and like the C-suite level people who are making these less technical i'm not describing this very well i'm tired today but i'm trying it's just business from a yeah just a more social perspective and, and less technical I, I don't know what the opposite of uh technical or scientific is but that's what business like mba is just in contrast with industrial engineering so anyways i i see businesses if you look at like a hospital or something most people would see it as this thing where you go when you have an injury or something or you feel sick but I see it as a business and, and this is gonna be a big tangent but basically the problem in the US is that we have this it's like an oligopoly it's basically and what's funny is that the US is so infamously very capitalistic and then China is infamously communist and, and so we have this, in our minds, we have this idea that these two competing kind of ideologies or political systems, they're like polar opposites. But what's funny is that the end result is basically the same, where the, in both China and the US, the corporations, I'd say indirectly, but it's at this point, it's almost directly run the government, where they have so much power because they control all the financial power, they are able to control the government. And obviously the government is designed to regulate the businesses in the interest of the people. 
but when the corporations control the media and the education system and the healthcare system and the banking system, including credit and loans and stuff like that, where basically if you don't work for Megacorp, you don't get to participate in anything on the U.S. And then it's basically the same in China, where the businesses, it's the same thing. They control the government. And so because the government isn't able to control the businesses, we have this just unregulated business that basically allows those who control the businesses, like the bourgeoisie, which was this, it was a distinction between the working class and the ruling class, where the ruling class was like the, in the past was like the kings, whatever, but basically the politicians. And then there's this separate class of people who aren't, they're not politicians, so they're not directly ruling the population, but they're not really part of the working class either because they own the businesses and they have this like passive income. And basically, if you just have a lawyer who can get you out of anything and you have enough money, that a parking ticket is just like, it's like paying for parking. It's just a little more expensive, but that's nothing to these people who, yeah, this, this bourgeoisie. But basically, the problem now is that the bourgeoisie is elevated above the ruling class in terms of the power that they have, which it's obviously not how things are supposed to be. And the state of society and the severe wealth distribution inequality is evidence of the consequences of this extremely imbalanced power dynamic. And it's just dysfunctional because society is controlled by a group of people who aren't operating in the best interest of society which is that's what like the ruling class they get elected by society because society believes they are the ones who will be able to most effectively act in the interest of society but now it's all just controlled by corporations because in in the US the corporations control the media and in China the corporations control the government which controls the media and it's just impossible for people to educate themselves on how anything works because if people understand how the system works, we're able to vote for candidates who would not take so much donations from uh, corporations who have these special interests, as they say, then we could have a more effective system, but it, it's just, I don't know, it's just impossible uh, to it's, it's even seemingly impossible to move in the right direction at this point because people don't understand what the right direction is. And that's exactly what the corporations want. They want you to be not educated because if you're educated, then you understand that you're getting screwed by the system. And so anyways, the reason that, that, that I went on this huge tangent is that basically Megacorp, as I'm calling it, uh, which is... I don't know the origin of that term, but it was uh, popularized by Cancel This Clothing Co. I think his name is Ian Carroll. He was basically just explaining how uh, something that I was aware of, I just didn't completely understand it. It's basically how, let me try, I just want to explain it concisely. Basically, in the US, how it works is there's a bunch of corporations that are able to, in theory, own each other. And so how it's supposed to work is that the, the, the citizens work for a corporation and 
own a part of that corporation. And so it's in their interest for the business to do well, because when the business does well, since they own a part of that business, then their share of that business does well. So you work for a salary and then get these either a 401k or stock options in that corporation. And basically the it's like a <clears throat> form of the idea behind communism. Part of communism is that there's no private property, but the other part is that the means of production are owned by the population. So that's how it's supposed to work. But because these corporations are allowed to own each other, well, for one thing, it's a bubble where if a person invests in a company and then that company is able to then invest in another company, which is then able to invest back in the other company, then both those companies get inflated. It's, it's basically a Ponzi scheme, but that's an uh, issue for another day. Basically, the point is that because all these corporations own each other, they all have aligned interests of making profit and forcing the uh, working class to create as much value as possible. And so that's why we have this credit system in the U.S. And basically, if you're not, if you're not employed, you're not able to participate in society at all, including being able to have any stability in order to find employment. But basically the point is that because Kaiser, the insurance hospital slash insurance provider that I have, they don't want to help improve your mental health. They want to get you to work. The therapy program that they have is like part of it, they call it mindfulness therapy, but it's really just mindlessness therapy of just teaching you to not, don't believe everything you think, just doubt yourself and ignore all the problems that you see with the system and uh, the world. The system being the corporations and the politics because they uh, are very tightly woven. The, the big problem is that because Megacorp exists where these corporations all own each other, it's in every corporation's interest to basically, if you're a corporation, if you're not as uh, Cancel This Clothing Co. describes it, if you're not uh, founder or family owned, then you're Megacorp owned. And if you're owned by Megacorp, then your interests either directly or indirectly align with Megacorp, where if it directly aligns, that means that it's profitable for you if Megacorp is profitable. And if it indirectly aligns, then it means that Megacorp owns you, and so you have to obey Megacorp. So even if you don't want to participate in the system that Megacorp enforces, you don't really have a choice because they'll just dissolve your company or just force you to blow yourself up because they own you. If you're a public company, you're owned by these, I don't know what the exact label is for them, but like BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street. It's a mutual fund, I think, is what it is. Basically, people invest in them and they invest in corporations based on what's most profitable. And so it's more reliable to invest in a mutual fund than any corporation because the mutual funds, this megacorp, they have the power to enforce their own interests. And so you either collude with them or you're at a disadvantage you're either with them or against them and so it's unreli it's unreliable to invest in any corporation that isn't yeah, you're either with them or against them and they're so powerful that 
it's impossible to be against them. So what happens is these mutual funds invest in corporations and then the corporations through retirement savings basically invest back into the mutual funds where with like 401k matching, they basically the more of your salary that you're, you're supposedly saving it, right? Retirement savings, you're basically just taking part of your salary and then giving the rest of it back to the corporation with this supposed security of you'll be able to take this money back out when you retire, but that money doesn't really exist because it just gets reinvested back into the corporations. And so they're paying your salary indirectly with your retirement savings. The, the trick is that everyone thinks that these retirement savings exist, but they don't. It's, it's just an illusion and it's an inflation of the economy. I, I don't know. I, I can't exactly predict what's going to happen, how it's going to end, but it's just this problem that's it's not getting better. It may not be very rapidly getting worse, but it's it's just unstable. And from my systems engineering perspective, it's a it's like a physics is pretty stable, right? Like gravity and stuff. That's that's not gonna go anywhere anytime soon. But this system is not going to last. It's just it's precarious and it's very scary. And so you know, ignorance is bliss. If you don't realize how bad it is, then you have nothing to worry about until you do. I don't know. I I don't. I wish I had a solution. But the closest I can get to a solution is to increase awareness. Yeah, I think I'm going to call it here. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but hopefully we as a society can start working to collaborate to address some of these issues and work towards solutions, at least work towards awareness of the problems and then eventually work towards solutions.